0: Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good, good morning. Good, good morning. Thank you all so much. Man, you guys, get, you guys get two black teachers in a row. Holy cow. It must be. I'm telling you, it must be Juneteenth around here. <laughs> well, just I'm just so grateful. By the way, if I hadn't had the chance to meet you, my name is Steve. I'm one of the teaching team here at LVCF. And so again, if I hadn't had the opportunity to meet you, I would, love, uh, I would love to meet you. Also, I do want to take an opportunity right now to recognize all the dads in the room. If you are a dad, and if you're able, would you mind standing up? Uh, excellent, please stay standing, please stay standing, please stay standing. I say please say standing only because of this, because in a world you you forgot to be a dad, Ryan? Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Okay, I gotcha. All right, I gotcha. I gotcha. You know, typically what we hear a lot about dads these days, we hear more about the absentee fathers. We hear more about the fathers that have no role in their kids' lives, and that seems to be magnified more than those of you that persist in being part of your kid's life. And I just want to let you know, based on what God says, you all are the priest and prophet of your own homes. God has ordained each and every one of you to lead, but not only to lead, um, but to also bring up your children because how how you present yourselves as fathers before your children is going to have a huge effect on how they perceive God. And so everything that you all do, know that God has specifically placed you in your home, in your kid's life, to make a difference and be that image of God for your kids. And so to all of you, I salute each and every one of you. And um, trust me, if you got young kids, it does get better. If you have kids that are about to be teenagers, it will get interesting. When they're full-fledged adults and they're doing what God has called them to do, there is nothing better. Yeah. So, so you are. Thank you. And so we have been in this series. Can I have a seat too? If not, then I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, so we have been in this series uh, talking about parables. Uh, we're talking about the parables of Jesus and. I'll have to be honest with you. Uh, these, This particular parable, uh, I really had a hard time with it from the standpoint of this was one of Jesus' clearest examples of a story. By the way, parable is just another word for illustration uh, stories. I mean, it's funny in business. We all talk about um, leaders wanting to be better storytellers. Well, Jesus was way ahead of the curve on that one. So, here is this particular story, and my challenge for this one was because it was just so clear cut on who he was talking to. The message was so clear cut, as opposed to a lot of his stories where it was kind of left open ended. You know, we didn't know what was saying. This particular story was pretty clear, and as a matter of fact, I mean, it was so clear, especially to the intended audience, which wasn't really for us, but it was geared towards the leaders of this day. I really had a a difficult time in kind of piecing together or putting together a connection uh, for us today like I I normally do. Um, However, there are some questions that I had to ask myself based on what we read or based on what I read in this story. Is it a cohesive, like normally, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of times, majority of the times, I kind of have this cohesive theme. Or co- uh, If you're looking for that, sorry, not, to, not today, <laughs> maybe next month. Um, but there are some questions that came up for me, and, and I invite you all to consider these questions um, as, as we look at this story. And so just to give you an idea of what we'll be doing in the next, hopefully get done, about 20 minutes, bear with me, um, is just going to take an overview. We're going we're to read through this story. Um, we're going to just kind of provide a little bit of running commentary, a little reaction. It'll be cool. It'll be like those YouTube videos where you see like the reactions and stuff. We'll have an opportunity to do that here. And then I invite you to consider these three questions that I had to ask myself and I invite you all to, and by the way, I don't per se have answered these questions. It was just questions that I saw that I had to ask myself. And I, I would like you all to, to invite you all in this story. So, um, so to provide this story a little bit of context, so typically, or not typically, but a lot of times when Jesus is telling these stories, he's either on like maybe the Mount of Olives or he's just in a really, you know, relaxed setting. But consider this, this is one of Jesus's stories During Passion Week, as a matter of fact, he tells this story uh, soon after he enters Jerusalem and he's turning he's turning over the money, the money tables, and he's just causing absolute chaos. And so as a result of all this chaos ensuing um, already, the religious leaders at this time, they already want to get rid of him, but they are hesitant to do that because they see how popular he really is. And so as this is going on, he's now at the temple, and he's telling stories. And as a matter of fact, before he goes on with these stories, the religious leaders ask him, hey, you know what, by what authority are you doing all this, or, or why are you saying this? Like, in, that, in other words, hey, who do you think you are? So he answers, uh, he kind of gives them a clever question in, um, I guess, in response. They can't answer. So he doesn't directly answer that. And so based on that, he goes ahead and he launches into this story. Actually, he launches into three stories. So this is like the second out of the three uh, that he shares. And so if we go to Luke chapter nine, 9, 20, verse 9, we'll see it up on the screen. And we'll just kind of like run through this. It says, he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. So typically when uh, a vineyard plants a vineyard and from the time he plants it to the time that an harvest actually comes up typically is about 4 years. Okay? So he's gone for at least 4 years. And then if we go if we continue on it says at harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed he sent another servant but that one also they beat treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed he sent out still a third and they wounded him and threw him out now this story before we go on is in two other places in the gospels it's in matthew chapter 21 and also in mark chapter 12 and that gives a little bit more detail in terms of how these servants were treated. I mean, they were beaten, they were stoned, they were thrown out. But as you notice, it's getting, it's, it's getting a little bit more intense as it relates to the response of the tenants to uh, these messengers. He went on. Oh, and so then the owner of the vineyard said. You're good. Excellent. Thank you. Then the owner of the vineyard said. What shall I do? Ah, I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. Hmm. You sent three. You saw what happened to them. You're sending one more. Now this time it's your son. How do you expect things to be any different? Well, let's, let's read on. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over Hey, this is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, him being the son. They threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come, kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others i have to admit this kind of like threw me off a little bit because typically when it comes to stories you kind of have that climax and then you have the point after that climax here the climax is actually the end of that so it's kind of like in a weird place that kind of threw me off because if you look at it the climax is there's the point where the vineyard owner comes in and just gets rid of people and then brings in his own people that's the climax. next next slide when the people heard this, people specifically being the religious leaders, they said, God forbid, or in other words, man, you got to be kidding. No way. You, you plan." So Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which was written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. By the way, this is kind of like a mini parable or a mini story. It's almost like the icing on the cake. This is actually in reference to what's happening in uh, Psalm chapter 118, 21 to 22, 22 to 23. Forgive me if I don't have it directly right. But that's the reference there. And then look what happens. The teachers of the law and the chief priests were looking for a way to arrest him immediately. Yo, they were pissed. Sorry, I don't know if that's a appropriate word, but understand, they were upset. Like, before, they weren't happy, you know what I mean? But now, they were livid, like, I, we gotta get this guy off the scene. Why, now, why is that? It says, because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Interesting to note, this whole idea of this vineyard is actually referenced back to Isaiah chapter, I believe it's chapter five, I believe it is, um, where it talks about the vineyard that being Israel. And so, the religious leaders, because they knew the word or they knew the biblical, uh, they knew the biblical text that were. Back, They knew all this, and they were very, very clear on who Jesus was talking about. There was, like, no type of ambiguity, no type of, oh, is he talking about me? No, he was literally talking and directing this story at them. And as a result of that, they were livid. And if they could, they would take him out right there on the spot. But because of the popularity that he had to that day, they said, you know what? We're just going to seed, We're going to bide our time. You're on our radar. You're more than on our radar. You're our number one priority to take out. So I looked at this, and again, for the bulk of the week, I was just kind of racking my brain. Hey, you know what? What does this have to do with us? What can we piece? You know, when, when looking at when looking at verses of Scripture, you know we have to be very careful we're not actually imprinting what we want based on what Scripture is saying. And so making that connection with us, I'm like, how does this all relate to where we are now? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure, but here are the questions that comes up. And the question that comes up, and when we think about these questions, think about in the context of where we are right now as Christ followers. Think about the people that are within our sphere of influence, family, friends, whoever it is, those people that God has called each and every one of us to reach, to connect with, to demonstrate and tell of God's love. Consider this context. So here's one of the questions that I came up with, or here's like the first question that I came up with. Who do I know? God to be. Who do I know God to be? If you look at this story, it begins with the owner. It begins with the owner of the vineyard. And as it relates to additional uh, uh, details, Um, If you look at the story again in Matthew 21 and Mark 12, it actually goes into a little detail in the sense that whenever the vineyard plants this vineyard, he went ahead and he, uh, he set up a fence around the vineyard. He made sure that they were taken care of. He erected a tower just for that security piece. So he made sure that those tenants were taken care of. But then he went away for a while. He went away for a while. And again, if we look at the context of that, it was minimal four years that we didn't see him. And so as I think about this, especially with where we are today, we may be at a place where, you know what? I don't see God anywhere around with, with what I'm dealing with. I don't see God anywhere involved with the struggles, with the heartache, with where I at and what I'm dealing with. God, you are distant. You also must be uncaring. Because if you notice, the, 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 the owner, he was always sending messengers. Even though he knew what was going to happen, notice, he was always sending messengers. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, if you know what's going to happen, I mean, the first time, surprise, okay. You know, it's almost like first time, you know, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. He kept on sending them over and over. So then that must mean, you know what, you must be uncaring. You must not care for your people. I mean, dare I say, hey, you know what? I mean, are you, are you dumb? And sometimes we look at where we are, we kind of think, well, you know what, God? I don't see you anywhere with what I'm going through. I don't see you anywhere with the struggles I'm dealing with, whether it's relationships, whether it's at work, whether it's, it's, it's here in the community. I don't see you anywhere. You must be uncaring. But then there's a flip side to that, because it isn't that God is uncaring. Actually, throughout this story, what jumps out to me is that God is patient. God is long-suffering. You know, eight times in the Old Testament, at least eight times, you will hear this phrase when God is being described. And that phrase is, let me scoot back. All right, perfect. That phrase is, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is really not slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to come to repentance. You see, God has the ability, if he wanted to, act right away. He's got the power. Just as that owner, he had the power right away to act and to do those things. And that's what we want, right? Sometimes if we see an injustice or something wrong, we want God to act right there on the spot. And if he doesn't act right there on the spot, you know what? God, you must not be all powerful. God, you must not be around. God, you must not care. But in actuality, what's happening is that part of God's character is the fact that he's patient. I think about the times where I've screwed up, and not just screwed up once, but over and over again, and those times where I deserve that God acted right away. But you know what? God, for me, continually has shown that he's patient. He's long-suffering. He continues to wait and wait until that moment where either I turn to him or he causes something to happen that pushes me back to him. So who do I know God to be? You know, one more verse. He says, uh, the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. That's in Nahum 1.3. Second question. Which agenda of mine has prohibited me from receiving the messages or messengers God sends my way in fulfilling his agenda? Oof, that's a long question. What agenda of mine has prohibited me from receiving the messengers or messages God sends my way as I seek to fulfill his agenda? You know, when we look at the landowners as part of this story is, again, that they were just renting, right? But then somewhere along the line, they got the idea of, okay, because I'm doing a lot of this work here, hey, this stuff should be mine because, hey, I'm putting in the work. You know what I mean? I'm going ahead, and, and farming is not an easy thing. And so if you look at verse 14, verse 14 in that story says, and this is their ultimate goal, especially when they saw the sun come, in, come to uh, essentially connect with them and and let them know, hey, what's going on? It says, let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And so this is the kicker because, again, the religious leaders knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. And so the religious leaders, they were thinking they had their own agenda. You see, their agenda wasn't that of what God's agenda was. They had their own thing going on. And as a result of that when Jesus came on the scene to challenge their power, they had a big problem with that because he was not only challenging their power, he was challenging their agenda. And so as I look at that, I think about I think about myself and I think about us in the context of God wanting us to fulfill his agenda, because we all know what God's agenda is, right? Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I've commanded you. It's not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. But then there are some things that come up in our minds, and again, we're not talking just political. We're not talking just social. You know, we're talking, if we can get nitty-gritty You know, in terms of like, what is the thing that we want or what is the thing that we are prioritizing that's getting in the way of fulfilling what God's agenda is for us? You know, the challenge for me every time I stand here and every time I have this opportunity to connect and to teach, you know the the agenda I battle with? The agenda I battle with is, man, like, I, you know, I, want to be, I want to be liked, I want to be that personality, I want to be that fun-loving guy, I don't want to say anything that's too confid- you know, controversial, you know what I mean, I just want, I want to stay safe because, hey, you know what, I, I want to be liked, who, who doesn't? But then, and, and by the way, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, however, when that agenda supersedes the agenda of me orchestrating or me communicating what God's word is really telling us as a community, that's a problem. And so what then is that agenda that we have? Again, not inherently bad, but then what is that agenda that precedes me from hearing what God wants each and every one of us to do in his kingdom. Because listen, you don't have to be up here to know, uh, you don't have to be up here to claim that mantle of being a minister. If you are a Christ follower, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are in his family, guess what? You are a minister. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you come from. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I care, but in the context of this, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, so we not go with that. (laughs) It's going back to the like thing. No. (laughs) But what is it? It, Understand that if you are a Christ follower, you are a minister. It's not just for a select group of people, it's not for the, 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 the pastors, it's not for the elders. No, if you are in the body of Christ and you call yourself a Christ follower, you are a minister. So then, with that being said, and as a minister fulfilling the agenda that Jesus has for us, what agenda is superseding that which God wants to do in each and every one of us? Third question, and my time is gone. It's probably gone right now, but <laughs> one more question. And this is probably, for me, the hardest. As a follower of Jesus, or as a messenger of Jesus, am I willing to go to the people and places where I may be misunderstood, beaten, stoned, or killed? As a follower of Jesus, am I willing to go to the people and the places where I may be misunderstood, beaten, stoned, killed? You know, I, I look at what's happening in the story and all the messengers are, are, are going and they're operating based on um, the owner. And we see the response that's growing in intensity. But yet, they're still going. And and finally, we get to the point where the owner says, hey, you know what? I'm going to send my son. This is a representation of Jesus. The messengers, if we look at history, those were the representation of the prophets that were sent to Israel. And now, his son is a direct reference to himself, which is Jesus. And we see the response. We see the response, despite them knowing what was going to happen. They went anyway. You know, it's funny, these, and this kind of came up with came up to me recently, these last couple of years, and, and I know I'm not the only one to feel this, but it's like, it just kind of like, I kind of submerged it and not thought about it, and you just kind of like put your head down and do what you need to do. Um, but I just realized, I mean, I've lost a lot of relationships. Now, not all because they were bad or whatever. I mean, I think a big part of that is just because, you know, life goes on. People have their lives, and they, you know, they kind of do their thing. But nonetheless, it really hurts. I think about the time that was invested, and, and one thing I'll, I'll let in about me is, like, yeah, you know what, I'm pretty friendly and I can connect with a lot of people, there. but I don't have a lot of friends. And by the way, this is not a ploy to say, hell, be friends with me. No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) But at the same time, like, I've lost a lot of people that I've let in my circle and they just, I mean, for some reason or another, they left. And it really hurts. I just thought about, like, it really hurts. And because of that, I think, okay, well, God, why would I wanna put myself out there again to get to know a group of people when probably in some form or fashion they're gonna end up leaving? Maybe it's something I said, or maybe it's something I heard, or maybe just kinda like life gets in the way, and it's one of the things where, man, do I, really have the, do I really have the bandwidth to invest in relationships? In my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? They may not be here in the future. Why would I want to put myself out there like that? Why would I want to put myself in that position of vulnerability where I know that I'll be beaten, where I know that in my heart I'll feel stoned, I'll be thrown out. Why would I want to do that? But then I look at this, and in the end, I look at what Jesus did. And and the agenda of Jesus is that, in spite of that, he calls me. He calls me to go. He calls me to connect. I don't like to hear it but that's what he calls me to do because Jesus himself was an example in that he put himself out there for years knowing that he would be rejected. He put himself out there knowing that he would be beaten. He put himself out there knowing that he would be killed. But because of who he was and because of his love for us, he put himself out there and he was willing himself to go so that we all could have a relationship with him. 2 Corinthians, or John twenty twenty one says, again I said, again he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And then 2 Corinthians 6, 3, and 4 says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault in our ministry. In everything that we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. As I, as I close, I'm going to ask Danny, if you might come up. I told you I was going to put you on the spot. You don't know why, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So just to let you know, I'm, I'm constantly being challenged, especially on on the on the last the last point or the last question. I remember when Danny came. I was like, Danny came what was like 20, 21. 2021. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny came, right? I purposely, typically, like I said, I'm pretty friendly. Typically, I'm outgoing. I I didn't do that for Danny. He doesn't know this, but <laughs> he knows it now. He's, <laughs> it's a typical Filipino. He's smiling, but he's like, what's going on? <laughs> Let me analyze what's happening. <laughs> no, but here's, honestly, here's why. It's because a couple of times before I got to LBCF, I was burned twice by Filipino pastors. Actually, the last pastor I got burned with, I mean, we reconciled, but the last person I got burned with, that's the reason is essentially why I'm here. And so as I saw that Danny was brought on, I had more of a skeptical eye. I had more of like... But then based on what we saw here, God had to say, you know what? Are you willing to go and connect with him Knowing what happened before, and and I'm here to say I, I'm so glad um, that I did, because uh, I not look at you only as my brother, but even though you don't want to admit it, I do look <laughs> at you as my pastor. And seriously, that's that's true. That's true talk. Uh, thank you. And so, what would it look like as we consider these questions, and as we Look at this story, and as we think, you know what? In light of where we are, who God has called us to be, who do I know God to be? Is my agenda, whether it be good or bad, is my agenda superseding what God wants to do or inhibiting those messages that he wants to communicate me to enhance those that I'm, that I'm connected with? Am I, as a follower of Christ, willing to go to the people and to the places where there's a chance that I would have been broken, beaten, stoned, or killed. Father, thank you. We're so grateful to you, God. Father, even now, I just pray that you would speak to your people because you say that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, send more into the harvest. And so, Father, with the questions that swirl us, especially with where we're living today with the high in inflation and the gas prices out of control and, and less and less people are believing in you and we're still dealing with the COVID effects and, and um, that's not to mention the political and social unrest and everything that's going on in our world that's polarizing us. I pray that we would be led by you and your spirit to advance your kingdom in the areas where we work, live, and play. In Jesus' name.